everyone, this is Dyer from Northwest Nerd. In the course of putting together a podcast like Northwest Nerd, there's often some audio that gets cut out. Maybe there was some tangent that Nick and I go off on that really doesn't make sense in the big picture, so we cut it. Or perhaps there was an interview that I did, and for whatever reason, a feature never emerged from it, or we never published it, and so on. These are the cuts. And despite not finding a place in season two of Northwest Nerd, they are still pretty interesting. Like a shop owner talking about how shocked he is with the sales of Dungeons and Dragons products. Recently, they've been like nothing he's ever experienced before. Or a very versatile scientist who shares my love of ghost towns. But what does he think of ghosts themselves? But first, a bit of an embarrassing story from myself. You see, we had Andrew Walsh and Genevieve Hass from After These Messages podcast on Northwest Nerd to discuss guilty pleasures in episode 44. Things got a bit personal in that conversation, but one personal story got cut from it. To start things off, here is the story of how I spent hours in a line as a grown man surrounded by tweens to get into a pre-screening of the first Twilight film. Can I tell you, maybe we'll save it for the cuts later yeah, on. Sure. Like when we have to do that. I, but... I might end it right on that laugh and then just go <laughs> yeah. into our outro. I think that's exactly. amazing. Um, but you talk about getting kicked out of the, uh, like what was the child children's book section or whatever, mm-hmm. where you were just sitting in the tiny chairs or something like that. And as a grown a guy couch. with a beard. <laughs> Tiny couch, and they're like, "Please get out of here." It was the only room that had a comfortable couch in it, and there were no kids in there. So a long time ago, and <laughs> I'm going to try not to feel the need to reiterate that every time. I'm going to try to not stare off into the to the dark uh, past again here. But I was in a relationship with a significant other. The uh, they they won some kind of contest for when Twilight was first coming out, the very first one, and she was really into the Twilight like tween novels before they really kind of exploded and people of all ages were were like into it she won this like writing contest from the willamette week down in portland and you you had to write a small mini story about twilight and she somehow and her friend uh that was dating my friend at the time too they won they like won like and the the thing was you got to go watch a pre-screening of twilight at the lloyd center movie theater Uh, but the thing was you had to go there and actually like wait in line and said get there early because it's going to be a big line it's a pre-screening Get there, we'll get you in or whatever. But I was in college classes at the time, and they had to work. So I went and saved a spot in line. And if you can imagine a line going around this movie theater of tween girl, tween girl, kid that probably doesn't know he's gay yet, tween girl, their mom looking at me really weird, and then a guy in like a military jacket who hasn't shaved alone, tween girl... (laughs) Real ta- a real taxi driver. Yeah, yeah exactly. Travis, they put Travis in the Bickle, line. Yeah. It, it was me. Oh my god! Exactly. And oh, then buddy. like, and then like everybody, and they're all listening to like emo music, and it's what they think is emo music, and all this like stuff in in the line. And here I am, like reading like the Epic of Gilgamesh at the time. I remember the exact book I was reading, and 
it was a very uncomfortable thing, and it was very cold out, and I was out there. I was camped out, and I had to wait there for five or six <gasps> hours. My God. In this, so that's how it was. this movie was insanely popular. Uh, and so then finally they show up. I'm like, oh, thank you for waiting so much. Thank you for waiting in line. And uh, we got, they told us in the email that we had to let them know when we were here. So thanks for holding the spot in line. We'll be right back. And they go up and like knock on the theater door, and there's someone there from the line week saying, oh, hi, we're so-and-so and so-and-so. Uh, we, we won the contest and like, oh, okay. He's like, it's, we got somebody waiting for us online. It's, it's great. Uh, just want to let you know we're here. I'm like, oh, well, well, you don't, you don't have to wait in the line. We, what? we just have a, we just have a spot for you. Oh God. I was going to say, that's not a very good radio contest win, but or, no, or yeah. I thought that was weird too. Win. You win the right to go wait in this yeah. six yeah. hour Because line? I waited in line, they let me in. So that's why I watched the first Twilight, which by the way, I have no idea what happened in that movie. Like, I can't remember anything about it. I had the same experience with the very, like, the Star Wars prequel. Like, I don't know what happened. Like, sometimes movies are bad enough that I can't handle it. Uh, so I watched that movie, and they read the winning entry to this to this contest. And I I read the stuff that, the, like, my friends had, like, written in it. It was, it was all right. It was fun. The winning entry literally started with it was a dark and ah. stormy <laughs> night. For a publication like the Willamette Week to pick that story, they lost such credibility in my eyes after that. And so that is that is the story of the man who collects romance novel covers hanging out in a line with emo tweens for five hours uh, and making their moms very uncomfortable. Well, I'll tell you this much. This is my hot take. I hate the epic of Gilgamesh. Oh. I'm serious. Do you Seriously? like that? Yes. I Historically, I love it. Reading it, it's a very hard read. Uh, it does not, uh, especially if you come from like Western literary techniques mm-hmm. and like hero's journey. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Epics. Yeah. Uh, but the epic of Gilgamesh, like piece by piece, I have, I'm listening to a podcast right now that actually goes through it. It's Great. Maybe I was too. I read it in college. I hate, it's really I just hate epics. I think growing I like up small in a stories. churchy household, yeah. and you know, going through like the Noah's Ark story and all that, and then reading and hearing the stories that those essentially are remakes of, like the the, the original versions of, at least what we think are the original versions of them. They could have been remakes themselves. Uh, is fascinating. And when you know that I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna nerd out too much. When you I mean, just the, the history of those two rivers and people making stories about a river that floods erratically and having to save their animals. It's just it's fascinating peak into the early era of our like modern species. It's it's that's where the way I I believe it. as a scholarly pursuit is very interesting and above my head. Uh, but as far as just like chilling out, like how can I make five or six hours pass in line, giving me a copy of the? <laughs> well, I was Gilgamesh. reading it for school, Not exactly. Um, and you yeah. just made me sound way smarter than I deserve. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Andrew, Genevieve, thanks for being here. I feel like we learned a lot. Just south of Vancouver, BC, is the town of Ladner. It's pretty cute, and actually, it's pretty all-around awesome which is why it is often the set for a bunch of TV shows and movies that are filmed in the area, like Supernatural, for example. In one corner of this town is Dave's Pop Culture. It's a headquarters for geek culture in that area with comics and board games. And while I was there on a recent trip, I spoke with owner Dave Strutt. And at one point, I got my microphone out because he had some pretty interesting insights on modern culture around Dungeons and Dragons. 
Um, my name is Dave Strutt, and I'm the owner of Dave's Pop Culture in Ladner, British Columbia, Canada. What were you just telling me about, like, Dungeons & Dragons, something's going on right now? In 27 years of selling D&D products, I have never seen such a resurgence. I think the combination of the Game of Thrones being so popular, uh, all the great podcasts and streaming videos that are coming out, all the great stuff going on in the computer and the community kind of creating itself around that, and then you throw in Stranger Things where the kids are actually playing it, have brought so many people either back to the hobby or to the hobby, and we're building on three generations of, of D&D players, and it's just been fantastic. What was that point you were making about the book? And I kind of interrupted you there for a second, but you were talking about the, the guidebooks. There's, I, usually it's on the initial release of guidebooks that you have your strongest sales. Uh, since the fifth edition came out, it's actually been the last couple of months that have been my strongest sales in the guidebooks, which is quite a shock and a surprise. So usually the books come out, big sell, it kind of wanes, but it's not waning, it just keeps going. And, and that shows us that new players are jumping on board, that they need the core books, and those are selling really strong, and we're selling more now than when it first came out, and that's awesome. Generic question, what's so cool? Why, why do people care so much about Dungeons & Dragons? What's the attraction? A couple of things. Dungeons & Dragons is the first branded role-playing game, so everybody identifies it. I think one of the things that's happening today is so many people can look at, again, people playing with their, their children after growing up playing it, and that's a huge thing. And it's the original escape, and it's a great way to spend an evening. And as we see people spending more and more time with other people, there seems to be that anti-computer phase going on where people are saying, no, let's sit down and, and look people in the face, and it's a really great way. You really don't even need to know anything about the rules to play a role-playing game. All you need is a good DM. And with all the resources available now, it's really easy to become a good DM, and that's created a whole new new surge in it. Any final thought? Anything that I'm not covering that you think is pretty cool about Dungeons & Dragons? Uh, it's got so many different levels going on. You, it's such a great way to connect with other people, and it's just a lot of fun to sit down for an evening and spend some time in fantasy. Before Season 2 of Northwest Nerd, I went down to Oregon to camp in the middle of the 2017 solar eclipse shadow. I camped out on the John Day River, and the whole camping trip was organized by a buddy of mine by the name of Houston Wade. Now, Houston is one of the most fascinating people I know, not only because his name sounds like an action movie star, but he's also a professor of math and science with degrees in geology, geography, and astrophysics, and he is en route to getting a master's in planetary sciences. And among his hobbies is prospecting. He spends his spare time in the middle of nowhere pulling gems out of the ground. And yes, I have made plenty of Indiana Jones jokes already. And he shares my love of ghost towns. More on that in a little bit. But while we were waiting for the eclipse to come along, I put him in front of a mic and we chatted a little bit about science and the Oregon backcountry. We're here because it's the first eclipse that goes coast to coast across the United States in 38 years. Okay. And what exactly did you decide to do for this? Uh, 
I am very familiar with the Oregon Outback, and the first place the eclipse, the eclipse was coming ashore was in Oregon. And I knew if you went to the Oregon coast, you'd probably just be watching the marine layer get really dark and then really light again. Uh, and if you come further east into Oregon, it's clear most of the time. Uh, they get a few inches of rain a year, so it's it's a great place to come, and you have a good chance of seeing seeing the sun disappear. So what exactly happened here? You you drove out. Where are we at right now? We are along the John Day River um, in Wheeler County uh, on Burt Ranch Road, uh, which is this little finger of Bureau, Land, Bureau of Land Management land, BLM land, that touches the John Day and has an unnamed campsite. Um, I figured that with the million people that were coming to Oregon, not too many of them would be smart enough to plan out coming to a spot that was unnamed and just most people don't know you can just camp wherever you want on, on BLM land. They're all booking campsites or paying people in their, to camp in their backyards for hundreds of dollars a night. Yeah. Um, so exactly why is this? I mean, what's the big deal? The moon goes in front of the sun, yada, yada, yada. Like, why is this exciting? Um, for the most part, there's there's tons of lore associated with uh, uh, eclipses. I mean, every culture has omens and portents that are associated with eclipses that that you know, portend end times or the becoming of a messiah or a new king or something like that. It's all just hubris and ego because eclipses happen twice a year, every year, uh, but not always across the United States. Um, Can you explain that a little bit about the uniqueness of that you kind of touched upon? Yeah, so, so throughout the course of a year, the moon wobbles. And it wobbles uh, a little bit north, it wobbles a little bit south in its, in its uh, uh, orbit around the Earth. And so twice a year it manages to kind of, when it's a new moon, to pass a little bit in front of the sun. It's not always a total eclipse. Sometimes it just kind of brushes by. Uh, but, you know, every, every so often you get a total eclipse. And, and right now this, the moon is particularly close to us in, our, in its orbit. So it's going to be appear larger and block out the majority of all the sun. And um, that's nice and rare. And it's something that I've never seen. And everyone who has seen one said it changed their lives. Yeah, someone described it to me as if you watch a partial eclipse, which I've seen before, it's like having your first kiss, and uh, watching a total eclipse is like getting married. Yeah. <laughs> as I mentioned before, Houston is fascinated with ghost towns, and he actually finds himself driving through a lot of them. So I got him to relate a bit of his experience and thoughts on the Northwest many, many ghost towns. Houston Wade, ghost town aficionado. I mean, how would... I, I consider myself an amateur, accomplished ghost town historian. Okay, so that? Uh, because not many people tried to record the histories of these ghost towns. There was a big uh, push in the 1950s through the, through the early 70s of these old guys going out and re recording the stories of these towns that were dying or disappearing. Um, and recently, people haven't done that. Uh, I have tons of like encyclopedic books on ghost towns that were written 50 years ago, and a lot of those towns are either like bedroom communities now for cities, or uh, have vanished entirely, or they're boom towns again because the mines reopened when gold prices skyrocketed. So, you know, 50 years ago, Anaconda, Montana, no one lived there. Today, there's like 6,000 residents because the mine is going nuts. So why why did you get fascinated with them, and, and what exactly do you do when you say you document them? Um, mainly because I come across them all the time. Uh, I come across abandoned mines and ghost towns daily when I'm out, dri I'm out driving through the deserts and the mountains. Uh, uh, it's just, it's always interesting to come to a place where so much happened over such a short period of time and then everyone just packed up and left. And to me, it's, it's 
strangely nostalgic in that no one does that anymore. All across America, you've got thousands of communities that should be ghost towns. The mill closed, the factory closed, the mine played out, the oil fields don't exist anymore. The, you know, the train station doesn't come, doesn't stop there anymore. Like these towns should die and people are just sitting there hoping that the jobs come back. And that's not the story of America. The story of America is, oh, the jobs left, I'll follow them. And, and people just, they don't, they don't move for work anymore. And it's, it's a really strange modern phenomenon. I mean, our ancestors left everything they knew and loved, left their families, left everything to come to America for work. Modern immigrants are leaving what they know and love, their little communities wherever, all over the world to come here and look for work. And then Americans sit in their Barker lounger and go, I wish the jobs would come back. And it's so strange to me because that's not our past. It's a very modern phenomena. And it's so, it's, it's bewildering. And then the fact that no one gets out and adventures and sees these abandoned towns that once existed is also bewildering to me because there's just so much you can do when you go on a camping trip. <laughs> so what are these abandoned towns? What, where exactly have they come from? And then I don't know if you can comment on why there's so many in Oregon. Yeah, so there's about 500 named ghost towns in Oregon. Uh, most of them are mining or logging communities. Uh, some of them were bypassed when rail lines came in or new highways came in. Um, others uh, uh, were just poorly planned communities that didn't have a water source out in the, out in the desert. Um, so a lot of these, a lot of the communities in the west were generally mining towns. Uh, in the northwest, lots of logging towns that popped up, sprang up, had a, had a small mill, clear-cut everything in the area, and then disappeared. Um, there's funny stories like the town of Molson up in northeastern Washington, uh, was founded by John Molson, who was the great-grandson of uh, the founders of Molson Beer. And the people who founded the town for him thought they were in Canada, and they weren't. They were in Washington State. And then they forgot to homestead the actual town for this gold mine that they built. And so after they had a population boom from everyone coming up to, to mine the gold, uh, some some entrepreneur came along and actually homesteaded the entire town and owned the town out from under them and so then all the residents moved next door and made a new town and in the middle of the night stole the post office which caused a street brawl to happen with about 500 people just punching each other in the face you don't get stuff like that anymore <laughs> and we're right next to horse haven yes so what you said this is horse heaven yes. you said this is your favorite one no it's favorite one. it's just one that i've passed through a lot it's got a cool story with it um the the young man who founded it in the 1930s, he made a discovery of cinnabar, which is a, an ore of mercury, and uh, sold the mine eventually to, to Sun Oil, or sold the leasing rights to it, and took the money and essentially retired with it at a, as, at a young age and moved to Los Angeles and opened up a fancy restaurant, which Humphrey Bogart and the Hollywood elite would frequent. And he spent a good 30 years running that restaurant, and then he ran out of money, and he came back up to, to this area in Oregon and found the new Cinnabar strike, but ended up getting cancer in 1984 and wasn't able to m uh, materialize on this one. And so he actually passed away without letting anyone know where his new uh, Cinnabar find was. So somewhere out there, there's a find. Nobody knows where it's at, and it's just out there. Yeah, it's, 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 it's known as a hidden strike. So what do these towns look like? I mean, because I've been to some of them. Like, there's one around here I think is called Lone Rock, and I think it's yeah, because Lone there's a Lone Rock. Yep. And others actually have old buildings that are just kind of decaying away. I mean, what do you find? Um, not all ghost towns are entirely abandoned. You always find some hippie hanging on, some old person that came across the town. 
there's other ones that are left completely intact. I, I came across this gold mine once in Nevada that that had been abandoned sometime in the 80s when gold prices skyrocketed in like 1981 and then plummeted all of a sudden. So all these new mines sprang up and then just got abandoned. And it was really weird. You could, the door was open to the mine office and there was all these assay rocks from core samples in there and there was paperwork on the desk and ancient dot matrix computers and cougar scat on the floor. And just, and is it just a, they just picked up one day and left and no one's come back since. It does feel apocalyptic almost when you come through these areas. I mean, it's what you'd imagine, you know, a Mad Max scenario would be like just coming across an abandoned, abandoned town. I mean, the reasons people abandon places are usually economic. Uh, sometimes like, like the Swaz abandoned farms in North Dakota, it was just so miserable. The winters were so miserable. People were just like, you know what, screw this. They just left. Like dinner was on the table. They're like, no, get in the Model T. We're getting out of here. <laughs> Have you ever seen a ghost in a ghost town? Have you ever had any creepy thing? It's, it's you have to ask because they are called ghost towns. I know. No. 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 Nothing? I am an astrophysicist. Ghosts don't exist. <laughs> uh, really? Because if you've been to Port Gamble, they have a whole little audio. Oh, I thing. know. I know. Uh, people will believe anything they want, uh, but there's four forces in the universe. There's the weak nuclear, the strong nuclear, the electromotive force, and uh, uh, gravity. And ghosts don't enter any of those realms. I actually just passed that chapter in astrophysics for people in a hurry, so uh, <laughs> I'm reading it right last night in my hammock. Actually, well, so is there anything that I'm not asking or covering about just ghost town in Oregon or the Northwest in general? You think this is kind of cool? People should know. Um, go and check them out, but when you do, don't steal stuff. I mean, the coolest part about these towns is what was left behind. And if you're out there stealing things, you're no better than some stupid meth head who's just stealing stuff for scrap. Like, leave the history there. Let people, other people have the opportunity to come along and be like, whoa, this whole building is left here. And there's, like, plates in the cupboards and clothes in the closet. It's a magical experience to have, you know. And it's a cool, it's a cool way to, like, spend your camping trips, to go from ghost town to ghost town and cut across desert roads that are seldom traveled. It's just... It's, it feels very unique and very personal when you, when you head out on trips like that. A special thank you to Dave Strutt with Dave's Pop Culture in Ladner, BC. Go check it out if you're in the area. Also, Andrew and Genevieve from After These Messages for putting up with my Twilight stories. And Houston Wade, who took the time to talk a little bit about science and history. We are planning out the next season of Northwest Nerd, but there are plenty of episodes in season one and two to keep you company in the meantime. And if you really miss us, then make sure you're tuned in to our Twitter and Facebook pages, Instagram too. You can message us through social media or our website, northwestnerd.com, especially if you have any ideas for features or stories or interesting corners of the Northwest that you think we should cover. And if you really want to help us get out these episodes, then please check out our Patreon page where you can donate to our efforts to bring you the best nerdy podcast possible. And okay, that's it for the cuts from season two. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next season, nerds. Nerds.